everybody for tuning in to uh, another episode of Devs Talking. Um, tonight we're going to be covering uh, the hot topic of Docker um, and containers versus VMs and Docker in particular and, and what that means for software development um, in this time period. And with me tonight, uh, as before, are the Jameses, James Spargo and James Thomas. Hello. Hello. And uh, thanks for joining me this evening. So um, sort of at a high level, what we're going to go through is we're going to talk for a few minutes about what Docker is and, and in specific and what generally containers are, how they're going to be different from VMs. And then we want to talk a little bit about our personal experiences with Docker, um, how we've seen it used, how we've used it, how we use it today, some of the some of the ups and downs, and um, and then talk through some of the, the issues and solutions. So... Um, James Thomas volunteered to uh, to start us off with a little bit on what is Docker, how is it different from a VM, and uh, James Spargo and I will join in with some commentary as he goes. Cool. Take it away, Mr. Thomas. Yeah, so uh, Docker is a technology that has its roots um, back many years. It, it all started with Linux containers, uh, I think back in the early aughts, but I, I'm, I'm not positive about that. Um, and the, the goal of containers are really to, to create kind of a, a sandbox environment in which you can um, do whatever it is that you want to do. So it, it's supposed to create a bit of isolation between um, your different processes in a, a way that hadn't, hadn't really been done before. And so fast forward to more modern uh, days in the, the mid-teens, um, Docker came along and the kind of took that technology and ran with it to create something that was a little bit more streamlined, a little bit more easier to, uh, to adopt and creating a, a specific uh, model uh, around how you would actually uh, create those containerized packages. Um, one of the ways that it differs from uh, like a traditional VM and, and something that people tend to, to, to get confused is that, yeah, Docker's not, not a VM itself. It is virtualized. It is running... Um, in the kind of its sandbox, but it's not a, a full VM. Um, with Docker in particular, what you're, what you're really running is a very thin slice of only the requirements that your application needs to run, um, including uh, potentially some hooks um, uh, like uh, an operation or operating system level, um, like kernel level extensions and stuff like that. So you have um, a, a very small shim that is run by the the Docker engine, or um, yeah, so it's it's much smaller, much more compact. It's still virtualized, but it does not have the the level of overhead that a full blown virtual machine does. Um, and that's really nice because it allows you to start up a lot faster, and it allows your 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 binaries that you're shipping to be much smaller. Okay, so in a in a virtual machine context, right, the the VM contains uh, a full a full kernel, uh, the device drivers, and all of the the middleware logic, and is completely isolated as far as the underlying hardware is concerned. It's a process, but as far as the as the software running in that VM is concerned, you have a separate operating system. So, in a Docker container, how do you how do you kind of get to the hardware? How do you access it? What's the what's the kernel mechanism, and where do the device drivers live? Yeah, totally. So those things live. Um for the most part, on your, your main host operating system. You have, um, like I kind of mentioned before, the, the Docker engine 
um, is the thing that's primarily responsible for getting at, at the, the, the metal. Um, and your container itself will ship just a little bit of the operating system binaries that, that you need to, to operate. Um, I'm not perfectly clear on exactly how much of that goes into your container, but yeah, there's a, a small shim that it goes with so that um, you don't have to worry about whether or not your um, the thing that's running your Docker engine is running on like Ubuntu or Debian or SUSE or anything like that. It, it ships enough of your um, required operating system binaries that, that it can be um, run on basically anything. Okay. Um, and sort of a, a, a call out for all the, the sort of old school Linux and Unix people out there. Uh, I remember before before Docker was a thing, we sort of simulated the same similar behavior, but not exactly the same with Cheroot file systems. Uh, when when we wanted to sort of isolate processes, you could you could s sort of stand up a file system and, and change root into it and and s have a similar sort of thing. Docker is a little bit more advanced in that the engine uh, hooks into the, the operating system, gives you a little bit more um, kernel level isolation than than that old technique, yeah, totally. but. Similar concept, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, James Parger, do you have anything to add to your definition of uh, containers or, or or Docker in specific? Oh, let's see. Um, uh, I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong, um, but I'm I'm going to spout off my understanding of it um, anyway. Um, I never really looked at containers as virtualization. I kind of looked at them more as as cherooted processes, which uh, Kevin, as you as you pointed out, is, is just a little bit. It, Docker is, is a little bit more advanced than than cherooted processes. Uh, and and I guess the reason I don't really look at them as, as virtualized systems is mainly because it, they're they're sharing the binaries that are that are underneath and running on the on the host operating system, um, which is. Um, Eh, for the most part, a good thing. Um, I, I I still kind of have security concerns about them because I mean, if, if they're actually using the binaries, man, there's there's got to be some way where you can you can break into them. There might not be some way now, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the future somebody figures out a way to weasel their way into one of the host operating systems binaries that those things are running on. Um, and next thing you know, pretty much all of Docker has a um, has a vulnerability flaw yeah and, and let's let's put a let's put a pin in let's put a pin in that because i think we want to get into some of the some of the challenges with docker and i think right, security okay. is a, a big one so i want to spend yep. a little bit of time later on that but okay. uh what, okay. what else um, do you have uh so yeah that that's that's pretty much my um uh, uh, my my understanding of, of what's going on about them to me they're, they're kind of just a tool um i am a little bit infatuated with them at the moment but um at the end of the day they're really just a tool um I think they provide some benefits over over like straight VMs and virtualization. But then again, I think uh, VMs and, and and proper virtualization actually can provide other things that Docker can't. And with the same as everything else, man, you got you got to pick the right tool for the the job. Um, now, one one of the big reasons that I am kind of infatuated with them is they're immutable. Um, so, or at least they're they're supposed to be. Um, <clears throat> A lot of times when you make them small enough and simple enough, which to me, kind of all software should be simple, you can, like the Docker uh, Docker and the Docker engine kind of like handles all of the networking and external things and external connections and everything else for you. And, and it does so in a standard way so that you can actually pick those containers up and pretty much deploy them anywhere that has the Docker engine. And you're going to get the same behavior each and every time, which which kind of makes it a little bit easier 
along the lines of the theory um, that you want to develop in the same environment that that you go to production in. Um, so those those are kind of some of the reasons that I'm 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 rather infatuated with it and and playing around with them. Um, so okay. that, yeah, that's, that's my two cents on them. Okay, great. So um, so sort of along along following along that line uh, in terms of of playing with them or where you've actually used Docker. So uh, the organization I work for, our uh, we're a services based. We we have a microservices based. Uh, architecture um, with applications sitting on top. And in the last uh, couple of months, we've actually transitioned several of our services in an experimental mode all the way up to production. So um, we've actually, we've we've used them in developer context in our pre-prod environments, and now we have them deployed uh, live in production. Um, James Fargo, where, uh, how, so how far have you, have you taken the Docker journey? Is it, uh, is it, uh, in your hobby work or is it in your professional work? And, and have you actually deployed these things to production before? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm mo- most of my side projects and hobby works tend to be like small one-off projects that, uh, I tend to do. I, I just think of something. It's like, Hey, you know what? My life would be a whole lot easier if I had a piece of software that did X. Um, and so if, if I get motivated enough, I'll go off and write X. Um, and usually I'll, it, it's usually small enough, um, that I can just slap it in a container and I'll do something with it. As far as like my professional experience with them, I've been on projects where, where they've eventually gone all the way to production. Um, I think I'm usually either in or out of that project, either like before or after it gets to production. Um, but I've, I've been involved in projects where, where the dockers have always gone all the way to production. Um, and I'm currently in in a project right now where we're, we're heading off microservices, and we've got a lot of our uh, a lot of our containers getting spun up in in ECS um, with with like their their auto scaling and all that good gravy that that comes with it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I've, I've I've seen a couple of different um, implementations of Docker. Some I agree with, some I don't on the surface. The pros, cons, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, um, James Thomas, how about you? Uh, what, where have you seen Docker in, in your world, and and how far have you taken it? So far, I have not yet gotten to use Docker in anger in like a real um, production environment. Um, I have so far only had direct experience in in hobby time, where uh, I'm currently building a multi-tier uh, API that, that that is Dockerized at, at basically every level. Um, and so far, it's worked out fairly well. Um, I've I've really been happy with how easy it's been to uh, to get up and running. Um, makes it a lot easier to keep my development machine clean. I don't have to install a lot of extra dependencies to to keep the thing running. Particularly, uh, I don't have to worry about installing a, a real database. I'm just able to go and, and grab a container from the the registry and or from Docker Hub, and mm-hmm. it's it's worked out fairly well. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty pleased with it so far. I hope that on a future project, I'll be able to actually get my hands um, dirty with it for real. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting uh, or looking for uh, another opportunity to make that happen. Okay, so I'd like to talk next a little bit about um, good uses of Docker and bad uses of Docker, right? So uh, we, and, and, and James Fargo, you sort of alluded to this and I think I know what you're talking about and, and I'll, I'll give you a chance to tell that story if it doesn't make your blood boil too hard. Um, okay. 
but uh, <laughs> if you want me to help you, I can. Um, but uh, but there are certain use cases that are that are clearly um, a little bit uh, play more into into Docker strengths and some that that do not. So you know, for example, mi microservices has sort of been the canonical case, right? If I want to stand up a bunch of small services, and especially I want to stand up small services where I may want to hor horizontally scale rapidly. Uh, is a really good is a really good use for Docker. Uh, personally, I think that the best use for Docker is for services that have very low state requirements um, that are that are essentially compute units that sit on top of you know a database or something else that that manages state. Uh, so that you can horizontally scale, you can spin them up, you can shut them down, and as long as there's a smart load balancer sitting in front of them, uh, your infrastructure will stay up and running. Uh, conversely, I think a, a rather poor use of Docker, uh, a different one than than Mr. Spargo's, but but when I've seen people outside of a outside of a developer workstation environment try to Dockerize uh, a database instance. Um, the, in, in with with maybe some exceptions in some of the NoSQL super sharded databases, um, Docker is not really great at managing storage, and it's not really intended for to have a lot of storage internal to the internal to the container. And databases are tend not to be as ephemeral as compute units. So I my my sort of experience and my feeling right now is that you know I would I would stand my database instances even if I'm using a, a replicated database up on on full VMs or bare metal and use Docker or containers for uh, smaller compute units or even uh, small web server units where horizontal stateless horizontal scaling is is more beneficial. Um, any thoughts on that? Um, sure. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you on, on, on your feelings about uh, Docker using uh, uh, Docker being like a, um, um, a some sort of storage device uh, or data store, if you will, <clears throat> for, for the biggest reasons, yeah, that they, that they are ephemeral. However, I, I am aware that you can use like mounted volumes underneath, which to me is, is, is kind of along the lines of, um, and again, I'm probably wrong about this. I, I get stuff wrong all the time, whatever. Uh, um, uh, it, it, to me, it's kind of along the lines of, uh, what is it, the, the network file system or, or essentially um, like LVM underneath it, at, at the OS level. So, I mean, I, I think is you could probably get away with doing a data store um, in, in containers. But, yeah, I, I'm not exactly positive if, if, if that's probably a good thing. But then yeah. again, being an application developer, I, I, I don't want to have to deal with managing a data store or a database. <laughs> um, give me an instance that I can point to. You manage you manage its instances. You manage its uptime. Um, give me a sandbox that I can play with and blow away as I'm developing, and then um, and and so that I can have the opportunity to make it as production like as possible. And then, yeah, that's that's all I want is an endpoint to be able to point it to. Because if I if I've got to manage the data store, man, that's just more work that I got to deal with while trying to. to, <laughs> to to do my application, trying to develop my application. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, I, you know, as far as the the mounted volumes, I that is that is true that you can do that. But but I don't really see a lot of advantage of of putting a database in front of a mounted a front of a mounted volume. You again, you're not scaling. You're not going to scale horizontally there. You're what you're, right. you're usually your database is going to be disk bound rather yep. than um, rather than CPU bound. So putting yep. a, putting several uh, Docker instances that are that are that are all talking. To 
into the same disc set doesn't seem to be a, a, a any kind of vast performance advantage. Yeah, so, exactly. But I also agree with you from a from an you know, and this is me thinking from a sort of an architect and and helping an op standpoint. When you're an application developer, for your once you get to the database, you just want a database. So, yes. so don't worry about it. Yeah. I think Docker is is definitely more of a developer tool than it is um, than it is a deep infrastructure tool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but speaking of developer tools, what is it not good for in development? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. So I, 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 I'm, I'm fond of this, uh, of the theory of you need to be developing in the same environment that you're going to be, uh, that you're going to go into production in. And so when, when you're actually going to production in Docker containers, it makes it a little difficult to do that unless you're building and compiling and doing everything in, in your container. And to me, what, I, what I've seen that, so I've seen that happen before in a couple of different ways. One is, and this was with a Java project uh, that I saw it with, excuse me, it was a Groovy project um, that I saw it with. Uh, we're using Gradle as a build tool. And one is uh, you can either go into your Docker container, like copy all your, all your sources into this Docker container, um, run your Gradle tasks, build, test, compile, whatever you want to do. And then create another Docker container out of that. Um, so then you end up with Docker and Docker. And then if you want to run more tests in another container, and next thing you know, you got Docker and Docker and Docker. And it's like, hey, dude, hey, man, I heard you like Docker. We're going to Docker your Docker so you can Docker on your Docker. Um, yeah. And then it's, then it's just kind of ridiculous. Um, another implementation that, that I've seen, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little enamored by because it, it goes along the lines of being able to build and develop and all that uh, in the same environment that you're deploying to production to. And that's, again, it's copying all your sources into your Docker container, doing all your builds and your uh, and, and running all your tests and everything in your container. Um, so I, I like that part. Um, however, uh, I left that project about the time that they were, they were starting to do that. And, uh, and, and I didn't really catch up with them with, what, with the direction they had gone until much later. And I'd seen that they had stopped at actually like building their artifacts in the container and, and, and deploying it that way, um, which solves, I mean, solve the whole like build in the same environment thing, uh, value thing that you get. But the problem with that, that I see is one, um, it makes your artifacts freaking huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the other is it makes your security footprint, uh, your attack surface, like incredibly huge. Because if someone actually gets into your container, they've got access to all your source. And right. now they can find all of your holes, which, which is a totally different um, uh, and, and bigger problem. So what I saw or what I wanted to do with that project after I had seen it was, hey, you know what? Add a couple more steps in, in that Docker container. And after you build and compile it and run all your tests... Clean all that shit out that you don't need. Oops, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, uh, and so that reduces your security footprint and will also make your, your artifact a lot smaller. You still get the value of, of actually building in the same environment that you're going to production with. Now, I mean, you might not be able to run some of your tests, like your functional, like the tests that are high, at a higher level in your, in your pyramid. Um, but, but to me, that, that kind of sounds like a, um, a better way to go. I don't know if I would clean out the Gradle wrapper out of that, probably, and then just run the, the Java jar, um, Java jar command to run those. Um, now, granted, I'm, I'm 
speaking a highly specific um, language yeah, and framework. That's a, that's a very specific tech stack yeah. that, you're, that we're going yeah. into. So, yeah. so okay, but but so sort of to, to to sort of pull back a little bit from that. So what okay. you're saying is that is is that what you've seen is is over nesting, but you're still yep. an, you're advocating for uh, uh, basically having a Docker image of your development environment and doing your uh, you know more or less your official compilations inside a Docker container that itself produces another Docker container? Or are you saying that you would, that that dev environment Docker container and a build within it would be your, would be your production artifact? So I have seen the former and suffered pain from the former because we ended up with Docker and Docker and Docker and Docker. Right. Um, I I recommend against the former. Um, Yes. I've seen the latter um, and I'm I'm kind of enamored by the latter. And I think, yeah, I I think if done appropriately, I I don't think it would be a bad idea. Um, On on the flip side of that, I mean, your other option is to actually do all your building and compilation outside of your container and then just copy your artifact into that. But then you don't get the value of building in the same environment that you're running in. However, with the JVM and other things like that, I, I think you can get pretty close to where, I mean, unless you're doing like very level, like, like bit level stuff, it's not going to get, it's yeah. not going to give you too wacky. Um, yeah, I've, I've always, I've sort of challenged that notion of, of, so I understand the notion of running your application in the same environment, um, up and down, up and down your stack from, right. from dev through all of your environments up through prod. I, right. since I, since I stopped writing C++, which was not more than six years ago, but I've not seen it because of the JVM and because the Java runtime is, is sort of as, as long as you're using the same version of the Java runtime is the same throughout and the, and the binary and the bytecode that you're generating is going to be the same execution throughout. I'm yep. not sure that I see the necessity of your build environment and your runtime environment being exactly the same, as long as you're using the same version of the JDK. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I kind of hear what you're saying, but at the same time, it sounds like that's a, that's another environment that you have that build environments, another thing that you have to maintain right. when, uh, maybe, uh, just, a, you know, for, for me, at least for, for Java projects, most of my Java projects, if I have a JDK and Maven or Gradle installed, uh, that's basically enough because those will right. fetch all of the uh, all the dependencies they need and allow me to build and and then build out my Docker. So I, at least for the for things that I'm working on, I I still have a my development environment is a little bit more of a is is local outside the container. I I kind of get I get the I get the idea, but I just don't buy into. I guess I don't buy into the underlying premise. Right. Uh, that's fair. Um, uh, so one of the things that, that, that I left out, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the nice thing about doing all your build and everything inside your container is that when you start spinning up your build agents and your, and your CI pipeline, that means the only dependency you have to have on any of those agents is the Docker engine. And and that makes things really nice. That sure. Although I, mm-hmm. and, and I, sir, I guess I counter that with, um, with the you know having the dependency on java and the build tool right. um and and possibly even using a you know a, a vdi or something for right. for those those build agents so right. james thomas you've been quiet uh, what what's the thing that excites you the most about um about docker what's what's the thing that you know has you kind of humming about this um for me i think it's it's really the premise of enabling a more seamless continuous delivery pipeline um, you can certainly do continuous delivery without Docker or without containers in, in general. Like that's that's totally doable. It just feels to me like this is the the thing that will make it have the least amount of friction. Um, 
if only because building a Docker container is way easier than building a, like a, a VM image that has your application prepackaged on it, for for instance. So like that that I think is the thing that speaks to me more than anything else is is making it easy to to make a change, have the the change be built, have it create your uh, container, and then have it just deployed out to to production and and be done. So that that is the thing that that I think is is most interesting to me. Uh, obviously, the the scalability um, angle is definitely interesting to me also. But I haven't run any kind of a project that that needs to have an, an excessive amount of scalability. Generally, the the amount of uh, stuff that we need, the, the resources that we need to, to run the application are are pretty well known. We don't generally have a whole lot of spikes. Um, and those that we do have are generally pre-planned around, hey, uh, we're going to have like a, a big sale, so let's make sure that we have our, our resources in place in advance. I mean, I would prefer something that's a little bit more reactive to demand than something that we have to plan out in advance. But so far, I haven't had a, a case where it has been uh, something that, that broke us, is, is not having that, that elasticity in advance. Um, yeah, so like that that's that's I think the, the thing that I'm I'm most most interested in. Right. And and I think I think that's an interesting point that you make, right? Is that is one of the one of the things in and even, you know, in, in my description of sort of the ideal case of of Docker is that sort of dynamic scalability. But in reality, you know, there are some workloads that rec- that require or benefit from dynamic scaling, but most workloads for most enterprises are, if not static, at least predictable. Um, and and yeah. in a way that that you don't need to be able to scale in seconds, you need to be able to scale in in you know hours or days and and scale out ahead of of where you are, right? Where where spinning up a spinning oh. up a VM is no more onerous than than anything else, right? Spinning up maybe new metal would be would be too much, but spinning up a new VM is no more onerous than than is than is necessary. So one of those you know one of those things that I think people get really excited about technology sometimes for solving a problem that they don't really have, and it's like hey this thing's great because we can spin up as many as we want in four seconds but it's like yeah that's so sure i i guess that's good um and i think that you know i not to not to temper enthusiasm for it but at the same time keep in mind that the that the selling point should should fit the business case for them yeah exactly i think people engage in a little bit too much um Envy of the like the the titans of industry that are operating at, at these huge scales, like your Netflixes and, and Ubers and, and what have you, and like they they are doing certainly amazing work. Like their engineering blogs are fantastic. I love reading them, but they are generally solving problems that only they will <laughs> yes. have. Like I'm I'm not going to ever be working on something that is delivering the kind of bandwidth that, that Netflix has. Like that's just not not something I'm going to ever have to entertain. So uh, getting too enamored with with their solutions is um, can I think be harmful yeah. at times. Um, okay, so uh, there you know there are a few a few concerns with Docker uh, that that people have raised, and you know one of them uh, James touched on earlier is is around security. So I'd like to explore that a little bit, um, and then there are there are a couple other issues at least that I've identif- that that I've run into, and so I want to take a minute to talk about sort of what what can you what could you stumble across. Um, so. James Fargo, do you, do you have any more that you want to do you want to say on security, and then we can sort of dive into that topic? Eh, not that I can really think of. I mean, uh, I touched on I, I touched on one of my concerns earlier um, uh, about uh, because it shares the binaries. Um, uh, you're kind of exposing at least somewhat of an attack surface 
um, of the host uh, of the host system. But I mean, I, I've I've never really dug into that and and seen just how much of an actual vulnerability that is. Um, so there, there's that concern as well, and then. Um, the other concern is what the developers are actually putting into their containers, um, such as their source code, um, or perhaps any any kinds of keys that they might uh, need that their application might need or use. Mm -hmm. um, and and at that point, um, um, that's just a, uh, a it's just a, a box with 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 all kinds of goodies inside. Um, and sure. as soon as somebody can can exploit that and get that information out of there, um, then they've got the keys to something. Um, uh, but again, yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of left my naughty ways behind me. So I haven't really been digging into that kind of like, uh, um, what is that? Um, idle hands make the devil's workshop. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I keep my hands busy. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've, I've gotten, you know, pushback from, from kind of corporate security types on, on Docker for this, you know, this well-publicized, uh, theoretical Docker vulnerability. And I, I want to address it in, in two ways. One is, one is that it's, it's, it's a neat, easy buzzword, you know, security, any, anytime you can talk about security in the cyberspace, you know, people can get up in arms about it. And, you know, this is an exploit that no one has really done anything concrete with. And it's the, it, I, you know, it's what you said. It's the idea that the binaries and even the, you know, the memory and because you're talking to the same kernel, right, in theory, if you can break through some of the process isolation stuff in the, in the, you know, in the underlying typically Linux kernel, uh, you, you could conceivably access other processes and do something nefarious with them. Yep. And so that, that gives that tends to give security people pause. Here's why I'm not really all that bothered by it, for the most part. And there are certainly some environments um, where this is not the case. But um, most of the time that we're running these things, we're running them even when we're in a containerized environment. We're running them within sort of a protected firewall area, either in our right. own data center or in our own VPC or you know in our own special zone. I typically don't deploy my Docker container on the same VM or bare metal as some completely unrelated products Docker container, right? And so to some extent, the, the concern of possibly my container leaking over into some other container, especially if you arrange, if you're arranging your things, well, it's probably just another instance of the same service or application. So right. I, I find that, I find that notion a little bit dubious that like the, the amount of effort that one would have to go through for the potential gain does not feel like a very viable attack surface to me. So I, I, I tend to discredit the, I, I, I don't believe that the security vulnerability is nearly as bad as anyone says. It's an opening, but it's not one that that gives me a lot of concern. That's that's fair. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I would say it's uh, at, at this point anyway um, that it's a ton of concern. However, one thing that a lot of folks tend to forget when it comes to security is, um, or at least information security, is that the adversary has all of the advantage every single time. Sure. Um, and so, in the process of like actually trying to hack into um, a system, whether it be Dockerized or not. Um, uh, well, hold on. because we're talking Docker, let's talk about hacking into let's, a, yeah, a let's Dockerized stay, system. Let's stay focused yeah. on that. Um, so there, there uh, as, as you kind of mentioned, there, there's a lot of moving pieces that you actually need to break into. Because, I mean, you've got to break into the, uh, the container. You've got to go from the container down, down to the OS. You've got to break yeah. into the binaries. And then once you actually break into the binaries, you've got to get... 
um, you've either got to get root access or you've got to like somehow get into some other process to actually get something. And I mean, usually the, the, the goal of an attacker is to get some piece of information or, um, or do something. It, it's not always, hey, let's see what we can do. Now, granted, sometimes it is exactly, hey, let's see what we can do just to see what we can do. Um, uh, however, um, because of those little moving pieces, I mean, all it takes is, is like, hey, look, I, I can break into this piece here. And then like they'll go back and doing uh, doing their own things and uh, like other things. And then a few months later, okay, so now I've broken into the next step. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like um, a simple uh, hot dogging script I, I, I wrote at one point, um, which was, I, I wasn't really trying to be malicious. I was more just curious. Um, and so I'd, I was making dinner. And so I'd, I'd write a line here. Um, then I go back to making some dinner and then I come back and oh, it's like, oh, hey, let, now let's make it do this. And I'll write a line there. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and next thing you know, I've, I've got a script that makes somebody's computer talks to them. Um, and so that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm, I'm getting at is, is like all the, the ad, all the adversary has to do is, is break little pieces at a time. And then eventually they're going to be able to have the whole kit and caboodle and, and be able to, to, to knock out those, those binaries. And I'm pretty sure as soon as, as soon as that vulnerability becomes public there's going to be all kinds of people all over it to close that hole yeah, yeah. so um yeah I, I guess i'm kind of like you um i don't really give that vulnerability too much credibility um yeah. be, because of all of those like hoops that you got to jump through um but i'm i'm I, i'm still kind of curious as to what kind of vulnerabilities are there and i i don't play around in like the c-level kernel stuff or like the machine language or, or down to the bare metal um yeah. So I, I, I can't really say one way or the other. And man, I don't want to go breaking into people's systems. Um, no. So I, yeah, so I, I just, I just sit there. And I stop at wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, okay. So the, there's one other, there's one other uh, kind of scenario that I wanted to, to bring up that, that I encountered or, or at least my team encountered in production uh, that, that surprised us. And it's, it's one of these things that sort of contrasts um, a Docker container from uh, a VM or a bare metal. And that was what our ops team decided to do was they bought a fairly hefty uh, bare metal server as uh, and I, I want to say some like 32 core you know, CPU cores and the requisite amount of memory and disk and a couple of network cards. And they were going to use that as the, as the Docker host for um, five or six microservices with multiple container instances of each one uh, for load balancing. And when they spun all of it up and we, we started running performance tests, what they ran into were um, the CPUs never really spiked, but the performance at the API level at the at the rest level was was abysmal. Uh, we were we were seeing dropped we were seeing dropped requests. We were seeing long latencies. We were seeing all sorts of problems. And the uh, what we we never really um, got down to exactly a root cause or or at least a root solution. Uh, the cause appeared to be that each of those Docker instances was using up source and destination ports on the one single operating system's <laughs> network cards, <laughs> right? And and uh, not, not to not to get too into the weeds of networking, but there are right. only so many ports, and every HTTP request in and outbound requires a, a 
mapped port and there were only so many to go around. Now, when I, if, if you were to spin up instead of 16 Docker containers, if you were to spin up 16 virtual machines on that, each virtual machine would only use one port on the host OS's network stack because it sort of stuffs all of its network traffic into, into a virtualized NIC. But, um, but in Docker, because they're all sharing the same operating system, uh, there was contention for that particular resource. And the same thing could happen for other resources, right? Conceivably, your memory latency could be higher or, or some other things because you don't have as much isolation between your, your running instances. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, at this point, I don't believe that, that there's really been a good solution to that except run fewer containers, which, uh, which, which isn't great. But, but I guess the, the point of this is that, that with a technology like this and with a resource sharing like this, some of the, some of the peripheral technologies around it, including the Linux kernel, have not completely caught up yet. And so uh, just sort of a word of caution that the, that the usage patterns or the, or, or the deployment patterns for something like Docker and containers um, requires sort of a, a different kind of analysis than VMs or bare metal uh, and it's something to watch out for because they're they're surprising and they're nefarious and they're really hard to figure out uh, once you get into these situations. Wait a minute. Nah, I'm calling BS on a limited number of ports, man. No, nah, okay. dude, there's 65,000 ports. Now, yeah. granted, there's some of them that are already assigned, but how, how many more ports do you need? Well, because because if if we were we were running we were running 16 we were running 16 concurrent VMs that were handling um that were handling on the order of hundreds to thousands of concurrent um connections. Ah, okay, all right, all right, all right. We, we, yeah, we, were, okay. we were hammering them with a production a production simulation uh, performance test. So if you uh, figure, okay. if I've got sixteen to thirty containers and I'm handling two thousand requests each, there's your there's your ports. Yeah, all right, yeah, all right, touche. What? Um, um, and, and, um, and to be fair, if I've got thirty two CPU cores, I should expect to be able to run about one hundred and twenty eight via uh, one hundred twenty eight Docker's. Oh yeah, 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 no, no, so, no, yeah. And, absolutely and right if I'm handling you. a thousand, a thousand concurrent connections on each of those, your sixty-five thousand ports go away in a big old hurry. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so were were, the, were these were these uh, Docker images or Docker containers? Sorry, um, uh, were they behind a load balancer or were um, they just like individual containers? They, so the containers um, we were registered with a with a VIP that was handling load balancing. So okay. there were individual containers and. In, inside in the bare metal um, and then right. each each sort of class of container had right. we had a, an external load balancer that was handling round okay. ro it was basically round robin routing requests to them so okay. the one dns entry would round robin out to you know eight eight ish containers of a, right. of a given service right right, right, right. okay okay yeah that makes i don't at right. least that's what the ops guys told me to some of this stuff i just sort of take their word for it but um okay yeah yeah don't don't take the don't take the ops guys words for it no, they're they're great. Ops guys are make ops guys make the world go round. Um, I, I I don't disagree with that, um, but I, I'm also saying don't trust the ops guys. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so I guess, you know, and again, I guess my point is, and even that, right, you look it up and you, and you call, you call BS on me, but, but then, then when you start to do the math, right, it is, it is counterintuitive, uh, how quickly things can stack up when you have the opportunity of stacking more resources in a smaller space than you used to be able to. So yeah, just definitely. a word of caution, definitely. just a word of caution, everybody is, is just, just think about it. Think about your planning and think about your automated horizontal scaling when, yeah. uh, when you're, when you're proposing something like this. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, on, on the flip side of that, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of under the impression that, that most of the people that are doing like some serious, some, some serious Docker utilization, they're, they're going to be using some sort of, of hosted, um, hosted servers such as AWS or Rackspace or anything like that, um, where along with the horizontal scaling of their, their containers, um, they're going to be able to get horizontal scaling of their, their cloud. Um, yeah. And but I mean I don't know I guess on on the, on the flip side of that are are folks that uh, are organizations that are actually running their own personal cloud in their own data centers like they're if they're running OpenStack in, in their own service and then yeah at that at that yeah. point they absolutely need to um, uh, look out for the things that you just mentioned right and and I mean depending on some of the security requirements and sort of the maturity of the organization uh, jumping to the cl- jumping jumping all of your data and services to the cloud is not uh, not always a viable alternative that being said one of the things that you know that that brings up a my sort of my biggest thing that has held me back from fully embracing docker is is sort of starting to resolve itself and it's it's something that you touched on there is is that if I, if I go to the cloud or I want to go to really in in my view any sort of continuous delivery or or fully automated deployment kind of scenario I have to be able to not only deploy my docker images but I have to be able to spin up a new docker engine server or VM at any time which to me right. means that I have to automate being able to spin that up right so it's yep. it, now now I've got to invest in tools techniques and maintenance of of, of basically automating spinning up my server and tools and, t- and a different set of tools and techniques to create my Docker container images and deploy those. And it feels like the same set of tools that I can use to spin up my server, I could also use to spin up my application. And right. and to some to some extent, it feels like now we're just intru- we're introducing another layer of complexity in what is already a complex environment. The flip side of that is that, you know, a lot of the big cloud providers are starting Google and and Amazon have both done this. I want to believe Microsoft has done this, too, is basically they have created their own sort of scalable Docker service engines where I can deploy my containers directly into the AWS cloud without having to spin up an EC2 instance to host it. From what I understand, those aren't very mature yet, and I've I've known a couple of people that have tried things out, and they right. do surprising things like shut down your containers at will and move things around, and and there are some planned stability inconsistencies with the way people expect them to work. So I don't think they're quite there yet, but that that I think is the use case that would really drive me over the edge to, right. to fully embracing Docker. I still feel like if I have to manage both layers of my infrastructure, I'm not sure if it's buying me enough to be worth it. It's still buying me something but not enough when i can just start shooting my containers at the cloud and have the cloud figure it out then then we might be talking yeah uh, yeah that that definitely makes it makes it a whole lot easier when you can do that and my current project we're starting to get to that point and i'm um that that definitely does make it a whole lot easier i wish the tooling they gave us was a little bit more mature so that <laughs> i wouldn't have to go into aws to to figure out what the hell is going yeah. on but um yeah, I'm 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 a huge fan of the easy button and abstracting away all of the BS that that I don't want to wade into or, or or need to to get into. Um, but I think eventually I'm I'm gonna have to learn AWS inside and out. Probably gonna do it kicking and screaming. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this this certainly seems like the direction that the that the industry is heading. I think you know it's oh, yeah. only been mainstream for a short amount of time. I think it's it's going to continue in this way um, yeah. unless we blow past it into true lambdas or something else that they're trying to trying to get to. Yeah. Um, but that's about all the time we've got for this evening. Uh, so you know, do you have any closing thoughts on uh, on on Docker or, or where it's headed? Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess in closing, yeah. Um, I, there, there, it's still really, um, it's still really intriguing to me. Um, I'm looking forward to exploring them more. However, I definitely don't see them as a silver bullet. Um, I think with the, the, the rapid pace of, uh, the evolution of technology, it wouldn't surprise me if they go away just as quickly as they blew up. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, unikernels, which I found, I, I, I came onto my radar in the last couple of years, also seem to be really intriguing to me, and I'd, I'd really like to play with them as well. But right now, the only thing that I know about unikernels is that it's spelled with a U, and I think there's a K in there somewhere. Somewhere, um, somewhere yeah. before the end, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I think they're really cool tools, and um, I look forward to playing with them. Um, I think they're great for microservices. I think they're great for little standalone applications that are for side projects and great for demonstrating ability and whatnot and, and, and playing around. And um, Yeah, I think they're pretty cool. Okay. Well, um, that's going to wrap it up. So, uh, Mr. Spargo, thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. And on behalf of uh, James Thomas, who has been lost to the tubes, um, thank you. And uh, I am, again, Kevin Hickey. And have a good evening.